Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. Today, we are going to tackle the topic of loneliness and discuss how each of us has the power to overcome what's been called an epidemic here in America. Our guest is entrepreneur and author Talia Fox. We discuss her book, The Power of Conscious Connection, in which she outlines four habits needed to create powerful relationships. In our conversation, we discuss the extent of loneliness around the world. Talia shares how people can conquer their loneliness by becoming more effective listeners and observers, having a clear understanding of their values and the values of others, and working to engage in a deeper, more meaningful way, even with people who may have a different system of beliefs. Finally, Talia shares how we can hone the habits necessary to create conscious connections so we can live healthier, happier, more fulfilled lives. This episode of 12 Geniuses is brought to you by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head over to thestarconspiracy.com. Talia, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Great to be here. Let's start with your background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into an interest in the topic of loneliness and overcoming our loneliness epidemic? Well, my background is actually in psychology. So I, I started at Howard University in counseling psychology. I did a lot of work around cultural competence. I've been doing leadership strategy work for over 20 years. And the reason that I have invested so much energy and time and love and heart into this work is because I do believe that we've got so many goals, we have so many things going on in the world, so much complication. At the end of the day, if we really want a rich and happy and fulfilling life, our connections and the way that we manage those connections with our daily choices is really the key. And what's great about this is there's a two-for-one deal here. It's the key to health. It's the key to prosperity. It's the key to accessing every goal that we have. And some of us are trying to go straight to the goal and we forget about the things on the journey that we can pick up like a video game to help that getting to that goal much easier and much more enjoyable. So maybe you could just walk us through what the extent of the problem is and how lonely are we? We are pretty lonely. There was something that came out by the U.S. Surgeon General that basically says that our loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There is kind of a connection to heart disease, stroke. It's actually a health issue, the loneliness. Depression, anxiety is at an all-time high. And so I think that we're aware that there's something going on, but I think that we are a little bit oblivious to the intensity of the impact on our health and on our lives that this disconnection is creating for all of us. Yes, I'll just add a, a few of the things that I have researched. So I saw the Surgeon General report, and he actually said that this is an epidemic in the United States. And I saw the 15 cigarettes. Cigna did a study. They found that about 6 in 10 U.S. adults are lonely. 79% of adults age 18 to 24 are lonely, which is, to me, that's the peak of socialization, you know, when we're just getting out of high school and in college years, and only 41% of seniors age 66 and older. So it's younger people who are more lonely than the seniors, which was a big surprise to me. Yeah, it's an epidemic is definitely something that we have to call it. It's something that's making us all very sick. And again, you know, as we are framing the problem and, and, and talking about how deep and how devastating this loneliness is, we want to get into what's, what does loneliness look like? 
I think that's a great point because you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. So what does loneliness look like? I think that we have a, what we're calling a loneliness problem is really a, I'll, I'll give you two things. One, it's an element of people really not knowing where they fit in and finding their purpose. I think we're kind of disconnected to like what we really want to do. And and there's this stuckness, like, what am I doing with my life? What What is this all about? I think we have kind of an existential crisis that is creating some loneliness. The second piece is, and this is a big one, everybody is being pretty fake. And I think that's contributing to loneliness. So you have these you're on Instagram and you're smiling and you're taking pictures. You know, I got all dressed up for the pod, for, you know, for the podcast, which I'm excited about. But there's a level of like, I, I watch these conversations and we're trying to wear nice clothes and everybody wants to give this image. I think it's more than ever before. Even when people are giving a, a natural image, something about it is still rehearsed and, and strategic. And so I think that there's a connection between us losing our authenticity and also, I feel like we're being kind of choked, our voices. There's so much, there's a lot of political things going on. There's a lot of division. And I feel that people just don't feel that they can relax and be with each other in an authentic way. And I think that is deeply contributing to feeling lonely because you're, you're here, but somebody else is here. Your representative is here. It's not really you. We talked a little bit about the extent of the problem in the U.S. And I wonder if there is a loneliness epidemic in other parts of the world as well. Have you come across that in any of the research you've done? So globally, I think that loneliness is definitely a cultural construct or phenomenon, right? And I think the way that it's a cultural construct is that the way that we prioritize our connections looks a little bit different. Um, when I travel around the world, so I, I've spent some time in Africa, I've, I've, I just recently was in Greece and I was in Italy. And um, what I noticed, and again, I, I don't necessarily have the data right now to, to, to push out there, but I could, I could point you to some, some directions. But what I noticed just in my personal experience is there's definitely this idea of prioritizing time together. And I think we've seen this, we've observed this for many, many years of how long people take lunches in other cultures, even the perception of time and how we rush. You know, I do think that although globally things are different, it's a cultural construct, technology is making the world much smaller. And so technology, I think, is giving us the illusion of connection. And we're not really maybe feeling the impact of that connection. So we're on these screens. Everybody all over the world is connecting to people in many ways. But the question is, do you really feel supported? Do you really feel hopeful? Are you really getting that sustenance? You know, and I, I don't know if we know the answers, right? I don't know if we know the answers to that quite yet, but I suspect that it's going to continue to be a global issue, this loneliness epidemic. We talked a little bit about technology and is that in your opinion or what you've experienced or seen the primary cause of our loneliness and the loneliness data going up? I mean, there is the reason I said we don't quite have the answers yet, because there may be an argument that technology is keeping us connected in more ways than it ever has before. Right. We're being exposed to things. Uh, this kind of tracks back, though, to this idea of the fakeness. Right. So the idea that we can kind of create and be strategic about who we are. I think that for, there is less. You know, if you're kind of looking at people and saying, wow, this is wonderful. Look at all the great things everyone's doing. I think that that actually would have a positive impact on our health. But what we're finding is that people kind of look and they have FOMO, fear of missing out, or they have a little bit of jealousy and envy. They look at people and they're like, oh, I wish I could be traveling like that. I wish I could have a partner like that. And so 
I think, again, it's our reaction to it and the framing of how we're experiencing technology that can be a real big deal. You know, I do think if you get on, if, if you have quality conversations online, on the phone, I think that that'll take us a long way. But if we're kind of behind screens, just framing this delusional <laughs> or, or just fake self, then I think it actually does more harm than good. Well, we know that belonging is so important, not only in the workplace, but in our everyday lives. And what you're describing seems like it would be kind of exclusionary, right? As if if we're observing all of these incredible things that people are doing that may affect our sense of belongings. That's that's kind of where my head goes right away. Yes. And, you know, belonging is the idea of being able to bring your whole self to the experience, right? So belonging isn't just Someone, in, I think there's an analogy. It's not just being invited to the dance, but it's being asked to dance. And I'm going to take it even further. It's being asked to dance and no one is judging your moves. You can have your two feet. You can, <laughs> you can be a good dancer, but everyone's just kind of enjoying the party together. What a beautiful world that would be, right? You feel like you can dance your heart out and nobody's judging your moves. I mean, that, that would be, I think, an ideal state in the sense of feeling connected to each other and embracing how we're different, embracing how we approach life. You mentioned a number of consequences to this loneliness epidemic, heart disease, stroke, dementia. These are some of the health consequences. Are there other consequences that we might not have talked about already? I feel like we're kind of in some ways turning into zombies. And and there is, I can see that there is this, this nightmare brewing. And let me tell you what the nightmare looks like. So everyone is not only some t- disconnected, but in that disconnection, we become trapped with the thoughts in our, in our head. So we're so committed to thinking a particular way. We, we kind of latch on almost neurotically to an idea or a thought. And then when someone talks to us, we're not absorbing any information that people are giving us. We're judging it, evaluating it, and just determining whether or not whatever someone's saying to us lines up with what we already believe. So we become in this stagnant state where we're not able to with a clean slate, listen and have the portal to new wisdom and new ideas and new experiences. So the mental health consequences, I think, are huge. And part of that is just in the way that we communicate. One of the things, speaking of genius, that, you know, I I talk a lot about in my book is there's a way, instant way to become a genius, and that is to become an exceptional listener and observer. And you start not feeling lonely because you're fully present in the world and you're connected and listening to what someone's saying without the need to constantly figure out what your payoff is or what your benefit is or even what your alignment is. And so mental health is really about coming out, getting outside of your head and not being stuck with the voices in your head. So the more, you know, the more you're kind of ruminating the less mentally healthy you are, the more that you're clearing your mind, listening for just the sake of connecting, the more mentally healthy you'll continue to be. So let's talk about solutions then, because we know that this is a problem. We know what the consequences are. We're not really sure what all of the causes are. We can kind of pontificate on what that is, but what can be done about it? I read probably over 200 books a year. I've scoured through so much literature and so much data around leadership, around connections. And I have boiled it down to four things. If we could all wake up and do these four things, we will instantly feel more connected and I think access some miraculous results, which I, I've seen so many people do. And it's so interesting when I, when I wrote this book, I did not know that these skills spelled out the acronym love. This was a mistake. It was not intentional. I wish it was more intentional, but it's listen, 
observe, value, and engage. Now, on the surface, that seems kind of, okay, I've heard those things before, but you read read 200 books and I guarantee you they will all boil down to something related to those four things. It's kind of like diets, right? It's, it's protein, carbs, and veggies and fruit. You can read all the books, you can have all these different tips, but it's gonna boil down to like whole clean food and you just can't get around it. <laughs> so it's going to boil down to these four skills. And I would like to just start a movement where people are skilled, highly skilled in being able to listen and connect in a very strategic and intentional way, where we get this Sherlock Holmes genius observation experience, where we are trained to go out and instead of being trapped in our heads, judging things, being neurotic about details, we're observing the world, observing life, observing people and making connections to what really matters. And then I'd love for kids in school to have exercises around what's important to you and why. Let them talk about their families and what they've learned and let them hear their peers talking about what matters to them. This like this idea of creating some individuality, but also the shared experience that we all have such similar things that are important to us. And then lastly, engage, the E, is all about really mastering the art of communicating in such a way uh, that is kind, that is compassionate, and that is you know, forward moving. I love small talk, Don. I do. I love talking about the weather and talking about sports. I think that in the rhythm of our connections, it's important. However, sometimes we don't promote our small talk or elevate our small talk to deeper conversations. Like what's important to you in the world? What big goals do you have? How can I help? You know, imagine if that was just as normal as Ah, did you hear about that hurricane today? Or what about that sports team, right? What if that was kind of the next normal, natural thing to talk about who we are, what's important, and how we can kind of be together in this aim to, to elevate our purpose and elevate our happiness? What I have distilled from what you said is there's no magic wand that any government is going to do. We, we have to do this ourselves. We have to, you know, get down to the cellular level and change our habits around listening, observing values and engagement. Let's start with listening. And, and can you talk about how we need to become better listeners and, and ways in which we can improve in that skill? If we can just be a little bit aware of how our habits and our behaviors are, are monitoring our listening, if we can be completely present, clean the slate and be open to taking in the portal to wisdom. In the book, you know, I talk a lot about this path to, to mental health and to genius. To mental health, that is, the, the more that you're kind of thinking about what you're saying, once again, the less healthy you are. But in order to be a genius, here's the deal. So many people are such awful listeners that you will instantly be the most powerful person in the room by simply just really listening to what people are saying. And you're listening to like words they're saying. You're listening to values. You're listening to this idea so you can begin to make connections to what really matters to people, what really matters to the situation that you're in. So it's not just kind of listening. It's like you're listening for um, information that gives you more wisdom about how things work and how the world works. There are times when I'm talking with somebody and let's say we're talking about political ideas or something like that. And when my beliefs deviate from their belief, I can see them just boom check out. And I'm, I'm certain that is something that happens quite frequently. So how do we, how do we still listen 
when our beliefs deviate from the other person's. So this is why, you know, as we think about the concept of listening, and I know you mentioned it being on a cellular level, it really is something that we have to master like we would master any other skill. It takes time and it takes practice. It's it's something that I, I hope that we start to invest in kindergarten of teaching kids like how to listen and how to connect differently because it's a function of your emotional intelligence. So here's the game that people can play. You're sitting, listening to someone else, and they just have words coming out of their mouths. And these words are triggering you such that they are ruffling you up, emotional. Some people have to leave the room. They cannot sit in the presence of differing opinions and ideas without yelling, getting upset, and without being overly triggered. And so what I do around my emotional intelligence is to be able to have a stream of, wow, that's interesting. I really would like, like I, I get interested in, in how people grew up and how they came to that conclusion. And, you know, they're not hurting me by sharing their ideas and their opinions, but I'm aware of the, I'm interested and, and even fascinated, right? Turn frustration into fascination at, you know, the way that their brain is functioning and coming to conclusions. So when we absorb this, we take it all so personally, which is, which is good. You know, we, we want to feel passionate about life, um, but we do have to sort of have a, a moment of clarity that nothing's hurting me. I don't have any sticks or spikes hitting me right now. <laughs> like I can be okay with this and I can still listen. And when you listen, you can decide to share your point of view, but you also have the option not to share your point of view. There are some people I engage in conversations with, I, I connect. And I don't feel that I need to share my side of the story, but I can still sit there and listen and I know more. And, and I have just engaged in a conversation that, you know, with someone that has very different views. And so that, that can be something that, that we do. The other thing, Don, is that we, you know, you don't control someone else's behavior, but you have so many choices that you can make. And so if you can adopt almost this powerful moment of owning your ability to make that choice, uh, to connect without without judgment and without so much evaluation. Yeah, it's what you have described is your curiosity. And for me personally, I'm very, very curious. So when somebody has a different belief than I do, I, I want to lean in and I want to learn more about that. But oftentimes they're, you know, they get a sense of what my beliefs are and they're like, whoa, <laughs> okay, this, this conversation's over. And, and you don't control that. But I love, love to explore people who have different ideas than I do. That's, that's how we learn. And It's funny because curiosity in itself is something that some of us need to develop, right? And you can practice that by watching what you're doing now and saying, how can I just be more curious? And so a lot of this is reframing when we're listening. What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? And we've all been trained to listen in a particular way. Some people go off. It's just their natural habit. You can, it's predictable. I, I have people in my family like that. I you can, they're, they're almost like robots. We can't be robots walking in the world with these buttons on us where anyone at any moment can push the button and they're going to make your head spin and just, you're going to go off and it's so predictable. So I would say be less predictable. <laughs> you know, that, that's not as fun. It's be curious about how you can manage yourself. Be curious about what other people are saying and be curious about your capacity to change your old habits of reacting to things that you're taking in and to things that you're listening to. If we become better listeners, how do we become better observers? 
So listening is the first piece because you're practicing the art of just being still and present and you're accessing the portal to wisdom. So once you have that art, you go to observation. Now, observation is not just seeing. So you're not just going outside and looking at things, but you're making connections around different things. So for example, you might say, wow, when I go into a store and I smile at someone, I notice that it increases the likelihood of them smiling back. Or if someone makes a mistake and me saying, you know, that's okay. I, this is what I'd like to have done differently. It increases the likelihood of having a better time and a better exchange. So there's a connection between your smile and the results that you're getting. And you can apply that to very complex issues. There's a concept called biomimicry. So biomimicry is innovation and disruption. And so someone had to observe how birds fly in order to create airplanes. Someone had to observe nature in order to create some of our most disruptive and amazing innovative things of our time. And so observation is becoming almost Sherlock Holmesy, where you're not just observing, but now you're like in this world and you're making connections with the things that you see and the, the skills actually systems thinking. So looking at it as a system with interconnected pieces and parts. What are some of the ways that we can improve? So a couple of things you can do to improve your observation abilities are asking several questions. So you can go outside in the morning and you can say, you know, what's happening in front of me right now? What's in front of me? What, what, what's the problem I'm facing? What, what is happening in the day? The second question you can ask yourself is what's not happening, <laughs> right? And so really being able to like have inquiry about your life in the world, what's not happening. You also can begin to ask yourself, what the choices that I make today, how is it going to impact my goals? How is it going to impact uh, my results? The choices that other people are making, how is that going to impact? So you're kind of constantly looking at feedback loops, if you know about this. So it's, it's how, do, how do I um, observe the world and kind of analyze what the outcomes are? What's really important about these questions that you ask, and I have several of them, them designed and listened in the book, is that puts your brain, we're actually doing something very important, Don. <laughs> um, you're giving your brain something else to think about as opposed to all these thought worries and concerns in your mind, and you're really fully connected and in the world with other people, right? You're fully there because you're listening and now you're observing. So if you start asking those questions and you're looking around and you're present, A, you'll be so much smarter and B, you'll be so much more connected because you're, you have literally different thoughts happening in your mind. And so you're going to have different results than the people surrounding you that aren't having those same questions. I will add one other question that is important about observation, and that is, Questioning your identity and questioning your own thinking. So just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> and just because you've been thinking it or been making choices does not mean that they're the right choices that will lead you to results. So I have all kinds of different theories about things I think I should do. But in the art of observation, I have to look at actually what is working and what is not. So what's interesting about the art of observation is you are trying to actually get to something that leads you closer to reality. And so you don't allow your brain to take over. And this is very critical for relationships because we have a lot of theories about why people are doing things and what they're doing, <laughs> right? But is it real, right? Is it, is it true? 
I had a person one time that said, my boss is always rude to me. So I said, tell me specifically what they did that was rude. And they said, well, they put their head down and they're quiet and they don't make eye contact. And I said, so you're perceiving that as rude. Is there another theory, right? And so this person was unwilling to test the theory. But to, to fast forward this, we did find that it was very interesting. Their boss was actually going through a divorce and we could almost see this. It was absolutely nothing personal. And they were having a really hard emotional time in life. But it was very interesting. And this, this particular person, they were so, they were committed to the perception of rudeness that they weren't even open, interesting, to do the observation required to find out if those thoughts were true or not. Tell us how values and value fit into this equation. One of the things that's really interesting to me is I know a lot of people, they may describe themselves as direct, or some people have these kind of personality quirks that actually become social impediments to connection, right? And I ask them, is is this tendency to be direct or this tendency even sometimes to be a little bit rude or to give your opinion all the time, is that who you are? Or are you a person that values making sure that when someone is in your presence, you look, you, they feel uplifted or the same, not diminished in any way? Who are you, right? And so what ends up happening, this is why habits are so important, is we're making a lot of decisions that people have really gotten confused with personality and they're really poor connection choices. We want to get back to the root of what is it that, who am I and how can I align with my values? And let that drive your choices. Now, what's great about this is once you've listened and you've observed, you can better align with values because now you're not just making choices based on old ways, habits, the way you grew up, what your parents told you to be, how you were framed by your friend. You're actually making choices based on all this new, lovely information and new perspectives about the world. I was just having a conversation with one of my mentors and we were talking about values. Just yesterday, we walked around the lake nearby my house And we were talking about values. And I said, well, not everybody has values. And he said, everybody has values. Not everybody knows what those values are or states what they are. And so I wonder, you know, what's the importance of clearly defining your values versus just having a set of values that are not stated to others around you or even known to yourself and clearly identified to yourself? So I do this exercise done on stage often, and it's an exercise that I do that helps give people some instant relief around any anxiety or problems that they're having. And the way that I give them instant relief is I ask them what's important to them. So for example, they might say, or Don, why don't you tell me, what are your, what are your top three values? Top three values would be family, health, and happiness. Family, health, and happiness. So As you tell me those values, let's say you have, I mean, you you might have a problem. We could do it live here, but um, whatever challenge that you would have, I will actually frame a series of thoughts and ideas that align with those values to help get you back in line with who you are and how you want to approach any problem, any anxiety that you may have in, in, in your life. And it really makes people feel good. And I will say that thousands of people I've done this with, if you ask people to name it and say it, they, they typically can really say it. If I feel that someone is not sure about their values, I'll ask them to tell me a story about a time they were in high school and just one of those stories I can get down to what's important to them. 
all of us who are listening are better listeners, better observers, and we have a better understanding of our values and the importance of them and how to utilize them. Talk us through Engage, the final step in your model. The way that you engage is that you do master the art of communicating in a way that reflects your values and that reflects what you've heard and reflects what you've observed. And so you become a different kind of communicator. You're not just talking and, you know, chatting about different things. This is particularly in the workplace or anywhere else. But you're really thinking about how you can use your voice, how you can um, even use your body language or how you can engage in such a way that leverages the power of a conscious connection. So listen, observe, align with values, you're conscious. And now the engagement is like, I'm connected in a very, very powerful way. You know, it's, I, I love, I, I find life just to be so much fun. I do listen, observe, value, and engage every single day. And it's just really beautiful to sit. I mean, I will, I'll be at a dinner and I like to listen to people and, and, you know, I'll listen to people talk about their children and I'll listen to people talk about work. And you just kind of sit back and observe the smiles on people's faces, what lights them up, what they're concerned about. And then I actually say to myself, what can I, what can I do to be supportive or helpful in this situation? Or what can I share that feels more connected in this moment? And so this engagement is really crafting language that reflects this consciousness about what's happening in the world. And so I have some very specific engagement strategies in the book, some real quick cheat sheets on how to organize your thoughts and organize the way that you communicate and connect with others. Do you want to share a couple of those? Sure. So first thing is, before you open your mouth, make sure that you have some level of purpose, even if it's just to connect or just to hear. That's the very first thing. You know, what is the purpose here of, of speaking? Do I want to, you know, inspire? Do I want to be helpful? Like, what is the purpose? We don't have to be neurotic about this. I know, you know, relationships flow and connections flow. But if you can just do it a little bit, like what, what is, what's my purpose here of, of engaging or, or, or speaking? And then what you want to do is to identify, and this is just kind of a moment, you use this a lot strategy-wise in workplaces, but you can use it in normal conversations. But you can identify what are some things that I can say that are more that are highly likely connected to my purpose, right? So if my purpose is I have a friend coming over, my friend is going through a really hard time, right? Maybe with with a relationship. And my purpose is to, I might just have the purpose, I want them to leave my house feeling a little bit better than when they came. Right. So what am I going to do? I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to, I mean, I'm not going to infuse all of my opinions and maybe all of my ideas. You know, I, I might even at one point during the conversation, you know, shift to something more fun to talk about if, if it feels appropriate. So they're going to be very specific decisions based on my desire for them to leave better than they came, right? Look how intentional that is. Uh, if you're in the workplace and you're, you know, you have leaders talking about the next strategy that's going on and you know that there are some challenges. Everything that you say should be kind of connected. Three or two core ideas that move that purpose forward. And then lastly, I'll go back to the friend example. You want to have something, a, a concluding thought or experience with someone when they leave you. So I, I really love the idea of I'm responsible for the energy I bring in the room. And so I had a friend that came over. She was going through a really hard time. 
And my intentional choice was when she left, you know, I held her hand, just looked her in the eyes, shook my head, no advice, no anything, just gave her a big hug. That's it, right? That was kind of the concluding moment of connection because really there's, there's not necessarily a solution. There's nothing I can really do to help, but it was this intention of just being there for you. Now, in my, in my mind, I, Don, I wanted to say all kinds of things. I had all kinds of opinions, <laughs> had all kinds of thoughts, <laughs> had all kinds of solutions, but in being conscious and connected, that wasn't the time. And I experienced this, this feedback all the time of like, wow, I, this was so helpful or this, I felt so connected. And it, it just becomes this experience that you have with people. So engaging is about communicating with others, but it also is about the energy that you bring in the room and your responsibility for how you use the power of that energy that you have when you connect with other human beings. The way that I look at this, listen, observe, value, and engage, these are muscles and you need to exercise them. Otherwise, they don't work very well. And there are a lot of people who haven't exercised these muscles, these you know, our listening skills, our observing skills, they, they may not know their values and they're certainly not engaging. So how would you advise somebody to get started? In order to get started, what's nice is that you don't need much, right, to get started. The very first thing in terms of listening is to just pause and begin to observe yourself. So I get up in the morning and I actually have, I go out on my deck and I listen to the birds. I start observing the trees. So I'm warming up my muscles done. <laughs> of the listening and and engaging. I actually have a journal that I write in. So I begin to write down what's important to me today. What's the one thing I can do today that aligns with who I wanna be and who I am. Um, And then I actually sometimes say, what's going to be my engagement strategy for today? So I might have a plan to send a couple of text messages to people that may need support. I may have a strategy for how I want to engage with my team. So I might have like something I'm a little agitated about. And so I set the intention that today I'm going to listen and not talk because I'm not in the emotional space to say something as as helpful as I think I, I could. And so I'll just say I set my strategy. You know what, today my engagement strategy is going to be less talking, more listening, or my engagement strategy is to do some five minute pre-prep on exactly what I would like to happen in this conversation. And I'm going to focus on two things that I think would be helpful in making those things happen. And so I have a whole morning routine and I just practice that love over and over again. In addition to that, it requires training. So listening, there are a series of you, you go through training around emotional intelligence, training around interpersonal skills, observation. I read a lot of books around what we can observe. You can even watch the news a little bit to make connections between what's going on in your industry and what's going on in the world. Aligning values. There's some examples that I give in the book around expanding your perspective by going to a movie that you wouldn't normally see or talking to people that you wouldn't normally talk to. So there are these deliberate choices you can make. And then engagement, you take, you definitely invest time in communication strategy. It's so critical and it can change everything, but you've got to do the LOV first. Otherwise your engagement will, will, won't be as effective. Do you have any final advice for leaders or parents or teachers who may know people who need connection, need a greater connection, maybe lonely, maybe on the fringe of society? What advice do you have? Couple quick things for leaders. Thank you for leading because leading is not easy. 
And I hope that as they're listening, observing value and engaging, that you can be holding yourself accountable for the connections that you make, but also being very intentional about forgiving yourself and giving giving yourself the opportunity to fall and get back up. For parents, I, any parent that is listening right now, I have a little thing for you to do. And as you start to embrace this love is to put your hand over your heart and to say, I am doing the best I can. If you're getting up, listening to your children, you're observing the ability to do whatever you can to support them. You know what, what's important to you and, and you're just connecting the best you can. It's I'm doing the best that I can. I think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And so relieve the pressure a little bit come back into the world. Don't allow these circumstances to just completely rob you of the beauty that's right here, right now in the moment. It's hard being a parent. It's hard being a leader. It's hard having financial issues, relationship issues. But right now in this moment, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, everything really is fundamentally well if you can bring yourself present in the moment and look for it. That's a great place to finish. Talia, where can people learn more about you and and buy your book? So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you want some training, kusaitraining.com. We have some amazing training to help you master all of these skills and a slew of other leadership skills. And also you can find me on Instagram at Instagram at Talia Fox Speaks. So looking forward to continuing the conversation and continuing the connection. Talia, I love the conversation. Thank you for your time and thank you for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses and thanks to The Star Conspiracy for sponsoring this week's show. We will return next week when I interview author and entrepreneur Brad Deitzer. Brad's book, Belonging Rules, was written to give leaders the tools, knowledge, and confidence to create a sense of belonging at work. We also talk about how the principles in the book can be used to bridge the political divide and other social challenges. Thank you to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.